Thank you, Clara, Mulkey, Patty. That was beautiful. Gotta love those old Cokesbury hymnals. Lots of gems in there. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pause to center our hearts at this time. We pause to focus our minds, our thoughts on you. We ask that as we are deliberate in doing so, that as we intend to open ourselves to the movement of your spirit, that you will bless us by moving on us, by shaping us, by directing us and guiding us, so that as your words are read, that they will penetrate us deeply, and that they will transform us, and we can become more like Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 8. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The sermon title today is Vegans and Carnivores, and as you can see from the passage we just read, that's what Paul is talking about, people who are only eating vegetables and people who are eating meat. But that's not really what the sermon's about. I'm not going to give a a sermon on whether or not you should be a vegetarian. Uh, The the topic that Paul is using here, uh, there's really something else behind it, behind the point of what he's saying. And that point is that there are differences of opinion, even among a a body of believers, uh, that that we have to learn to to accept, that we have to learn to deal with, rather than allowing division or or disruption occur within the church. And so that's really what's at the heart of the message today. And and we we could use this example of eating meat or eating vegetables, but we can use lots of other examples that might be more familiar more contemporary to us, uh, examples such as movies. There are Christians, God-fearing, Bible-believing Christians who honestly feel like they 
should not watch any movies unless they're rated G or PG. And then there's other Christians who are just as sincere in their faith, just as strong in their faith, who believe I can I can watch other movies. I can I know where to draw the line. I have that freedom that. Um, and, and we could say the same thing about music. There are people who believe that music uh, should only be Christian, that it should only be music was made to give glory to God, so if it's not giving glory to God, I don't want to listen to it. And then there's other people who are just as sincere in their faith that say, no, I, I can listen to other kinds of music as well. It doesn't have to all be about God. And so you see this division even among Christians in the church. You see it all the time in different, different areas, different topics. Another one that you see a lot is over alcohol, and uh, that's that's one that I've been asked about a lot uh, is is whether or not a Christian should drink alcohol. And you again, you have people on both sides who are very sincere and who have very valid points and who are very justified by the scriptures and where to stand on this. Some say no, there are scriptures that that talk about all the pitfalls of alcohol, and, and we should just abstain from it. We should just stay away. And then there's other Christians who say, well, you know, alcohol should be done in moderation, and even Jesus drank, and, and they, they can use Scripture to back that up. The point is, it's not who's right or who's wrong. It's that God speaks to all, all of us in, in a unique way, and we all have personal convictions. And so it shouldn't turn into an arguing match of who's right or who's wrong. And I, I'm hoping that after saying all that, I don't get a bunch of emails this week telling me that I was wrong in what I applied uh, or implied about alcohol because I'm not implying anything here and now about that. Um, and just as, as Paul, uh, when he was talking to the Romans, what he was saying is he's, he, he's not going to tell you you've got to be a vegan or you've got to eat meat. He's going to tell you there are people who are in different places in their faith journey. And what you feel convicted of or what you feel in your conscience isn't necessarily what they feel. And some of us are further along in faith, and we can express that in different ways. Really what he's getting at here is uh, sort of a liberal versus conservative understanding of salvation. Now I say that, and, and I don't mean liberal and conservative in the political sense. I'm not talking about Democrats and Republicans. I'm talking about people who have more of a liberal understanding of salvation will look at this and say, I'm free uh, because God made me free. Christ gave me freedom. And so I, I can live my life without having to worry about the imposition of all these rules and regulations that I have to follow because I have freedom in Christ. Those people have a more liberal understanding of salvation. And then there's people who say, no, he gave us freedom, but... We need to be responsible with it, and we're working on perfection. We're, working, we're moving on towards holiness, so we need to abstain from absolutely everything that could lead us away from God. And those people would have a more conservative uh, um, faith. And, and in this passage, believe it or not, the conservatives were the vegetarians. That seems like a strange thing to, to think about for us. But the, the, to give you the history of what was going on in Rome, uh, there was a practice where uh, cows were being sacrificed to pagan gods in pagan temples. And, and they would take that meat that, that had been sacrificed to false gods, and then they would sell it in the marketplace. And so that's where the meat was coming from. And so you had Christians who uh, were, like I said, of the, the more conservative, the more strict branch, who said, no, I am not touching that. That meat has been 
uh, sacrifice to something I don't believe in, I don't agree with, and I, I'm not going to come near it. And I don't think any Christian should. And then you had the other group of Christians who said, those gods aren't real. It doesn't matter that that cow was, was sacrificed to some false god I don't even believe in. It's being offered at a discount. And I'm going to get me a good steak. And so this was the controversy. You had people saying, I'm going to eat this meat. And then some people saying, no, I'm not eating the meat. And, and, and Paul is stepping in and he's saying, some of you believe that you have the freedom to eat the meat. And some of you are abstaining. But both of you are doing what you're doing to the glory of God. You are both doing it for what you feel is the right reason. So what's the issue? The issue is when they start looking at each other. And they start sizing each other up and saying, you're not like me. You don't believe like I do, and, and, and you're in the wrong. And one side was valuing their works too highly. I abstain from this, and so you should too. And when we do that, what do we do? We get back into works-based righteousness. And then the other side was valuing their freedom too highly. And there's such a thing as freedom worship. Where we'd say we have freedom in Christ, but then we celebrate our freedom in excess. And the freedom becomes more important to us than Christ himself. I'm going to Americanize this sermon just for a moment. Um, I'm always at risk when I do that. I understand, but we're in America. So uh, I preached a sermon last, last year at Emory um, in front of my class. And they said, preach it as you would to your context. The, the people that you speak to week in and week out preach a sermon that's geared towards them. So I did. I preached a sermon that I would have preached in here. And when I did, uh, after, after the sermon, people get to, to offer their criticism or their, uh, their comments or whatever. And there was this one girl who criticized everybody about everything. And when I finished the sermon, I sat down and she said, that sermon was really American. She said it like in a negative way. And I just kind of looked at her and I said, well, my context is in America. So that's why it was Americanized. And, and so when we come to passages like this, I can't help but think our culture, what, what do we, how do we understand this? When we talk about freedom, when we talk about liberty, we see it through an American lens. And a lot of times we come to a place where we worship our freedom. We might not think that we're worshiping it, but we do. We, this, this whole thing about we have all the freedom and the liberty and we're number one. No other country can be like us because of our freedom. What's happening? We are placing our freedom on such a high level that we have become prideful. We have become arrogant. And we have forgotten the sacrifices that have brought us that freedom. We have forgotten the humility that soldiers walked into battle with that our forefathers had when they wrote our Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. We are forgetting the values that were held by the people who gave us that freedom. Instead, we are just clinging on to that freedom so much and enjoying it so much without thinking about where it came from and without identifying the cause that we become prideful in our freedom. And so that was, that was the, the, the error of the other group. One group was, was proud of their works, and the other was overly proud of their freedom and of their liberty. They were both guilty of looking at themselves and their accomplishments and thinking that the other needed to be like them. Remember what happened to Peter when he was walking on the water. He was doing fine 
until he looked down. That's when he started sinking. And when we start looking at ourselves and thinking that we've got it right, we're walking this faith journey the right way, we are looking at ourselves and we will start sinking. And then we start looking at each other and we start thinking, no, you don't walk like I do. You don't do all the same things that I do. And maybe that's what your problem is without realizing that our problem has become pride. And we think that everybody is on the same journey as us. Everybody's going to experience things the same way that we do. But it doesn't always work that way. Have you ever tried to recommend a book or a movie or something to somebody and you tell them, oh, you, you've got to see this. It will change your life. You've got to read this. It will change your life. It made such a huge impact on me. And so the person watches it or they read it or whatever and they, they're kind of like, eh, it was okay. And then you just think, oh, no, you didn't read it right or you didn't watch it right or something. It didn't. It's supposed to have the same impact on you that it had on me. Well, we do the same thing with our faith. We, we have profound, real experiences with God throughout our faith journey. But we can't make other people have those same experiences. If we do, we are no longer telling them to follow Christ. We're telling them to follow us. And we can't have people following us. We should be pointing to Christ and saying, follow Him instead. The Holy Spirit will move on different people in different ways. And the reason for that is because we all start from different places. We all have different contexts that we come out of. We started this series off in Romans talking about everybody starts off on common ground. But what we meant by that was we were all on the side of the gulf where sin was. That's where we all started. But even on that side of the gulf, we all come from different places and different areas. Some people come from a, a, a culture that is, um, or, or from an environment that is conducive to rapid spiritual growth. Maybe they're introduced to Christ at an early age. Maybe they grow up in the church, and other people don't come from that. Some people come from broken homes and broken families, and you never know how the Spirit is going to work on different people, on their lives, on their hearts, and even on their own conscience, to direct them into the direction of holiness. Because we all start from a different place. Now Paul says this twice. He says it in, in, in verse 1 and in verse 2. He talks about being weak. Somebody's faith being weak. When I read that, I said, what does that mean? Is that kind of, it sounds like an insult. It sounds like he's kind of making a dig at, at, at a certain group of people. They're the ones with weak faith. I started thinking about that. Why would Paul do that? Why would Paul insult the level of somebody's faith? And then I realized it's not an insult at all. It really isn't. He didn't mean it as an insult. Because the truth of the matter is, there are people who are weak in faith, and we all, at different points in our journey, have been weak in faith. For example, everyone is weak in faith when they first come to Christ. Just as a newborn baby is weak physically when it is first born. We haven't done the growing yet. We haven't had all the nourishment we need. We haven't had all the development that we need. And if we look at it that way, we could say that we're all sort of weak in faith because we've never fully developed into the Christ-like person that God has in mind for us. We're all in various stages of that progression. But that's all Paul is saying here, that some people aren't as far along in that progression as others. And new Christians especially are prone to weakness because they haven't had the time and the journey to develop 
And there's several ways that, that people can be weak as, as a Christian, especially if they are new in their faith or if they are recommitted in their faith. The first one is, is through zeal. Um, they can become so passionate and so uh, zealous because of their newfound faith that they just they abhor everything from their, their previous life, their life before Christ. Everything before that moment that they just experienced where everything changed, they just despise it and disdain it, and anything that has anything to do with that life, to them, they can't tolerate it. And, so, and, and you'll see this with people who, who are, uh, just joined the church, they just ch- come to Christ, and all of a sudden they're getting on to, to people of the faith who have been in the faith for years and years because, oh, you shouldn't be watching that movie. You shouldn't be listening to that music. And what it is is their zeal has made them feel strong, but it's an illusion. In fact, they are still weak in the faith. And there are people who are weak in the faith because of an, a struggle or an addiction maybe that they had earlier in life. And so for them, there are things, just to get back to the example of, of like alcohol, there are people who, who uh, for them, alcohol represents a part of their life where they hadn't come to Christ yet. Or it represents a chapter of their life they would like to move on for. And so they feel passionately about abstinence in that area because of, of where they are in their own faith journey. And then even those who, who don't feel the same, we have a, a responsibility to be mindful of how they feel. Because with any freedom that we feel like we have, we have to recognize that we have to be responsible with it as well. You may feel like, I, I, can, I can have a drink. I don't have a problem with that. Jesus had a drink. And, but the difference is, we have to be mindful of who's around us. The people that we're affecting. Are we setting stumbling blocks? And Jesus, of course, was mindful of who was around him, but I want to remind you something else about Jesus. He had perfect self-control. Remember earlier this year we talked about he was the light from true light. And what does light contain? Every single color. And we started talking about the, the fruits of the Spirit as different colors. So every single fruit of the Spirit, everything, uh, 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 every trait that comes from God was perfected in Jesus, one of which was self-control. So anytime somebody uses that argument, well, Jesus drank, so I can too, we have to say, now wait a second, none of us has the self-control that Jesus did, first of all. None of us has quite the same responsibility. And, and, and I'm using, again, I'm using this, this image of alcohol. It's, it's just an example. Just as Paul was using meat, any of it that we feel that we have the freedom to do, we have to be mindful of our responsibility. Who are we affecting? Who is looking at us? Who sees us in this moment? Who might be weak? Who is abstaining? And that doesn't mean we have to change what we do. But we have to be respectful. And the people who do abstain, that doesn't mean that we have to change what we do. But we have to be respectful of where the others stand as well. You see, Jesus speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And he speaks to every one of us uniquely. He speaks to us in a way that is meant to draw you closer to him. So what's really important isn't what he's saying to this person over here about what they're doing. Or what he's saying to this group of people about what they believe. What's important for you is what he's saying to you. What is the way that you are going to grow in your sanctification? 
and your journey with him. St. Augustine said that in essentials, unity, and doubtful matters, liberty, and all things, charity. I love that quote because if you break it down, what he's saying, in essentials, unity, meaning the things that that are core to our belief, the doctrine, we have to believe those. We have to come together on those. Those are the essentials. But on the non-essentials, there's going to be things that we argue about. But in those, we should, we should give each other liberty. You believe this about that, and I believe this. And we're not going to try to change each other, because that is between us and God and our own convictions. But in all things, charity, meaning despite our differences, we should always love. Love each other. Exhort each other. Edify each other. Paul was not going to say that everyone should be a vegan or that everyone should be a carnivore. But what he did say was to love each other despite your differences because there's room at the table for both. Rather than judging, condemning, or trying to make another group of believers just like us, we should always be exhorting and encouraging each other, recognizing that all of us are on the same journey. But we're all in different places of that journey. We're all moving on to perfection. We are all being sanctified as we journey towards holiness. But since we all come from different places, God will guide each one of us and he will speak to each one of us in his own unique way that is right for each one of us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the perfect liberty that you have given us through Christ Jesus. We thank you for the gift of the conscience that you give us, the the conscience that you speak to, and we ask that we don't dilute it, that we don't misinterpret it, but that we always allow your Holy Spirit to move it. We ask that in matters that are controversial, matters that we disagree on, that you will always give us wisdom in discerning what your will for our own lives is. But we also ask that you give us love for each other who, and for those who may disagree with us. And that we will all come together in unity, realizing that the doctrine, the essentials of our faith is what's really important. Help us to live in unity, to love each other, and to grow in likeness of Christ today and always. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 369, Blessed Assurance. Please stand if you are able and join us in singing hymn number 369.